Ah, good to see you all. Um, I uh, want to begin by offering a famous quote from Suzuki Roshi, the wonderful root teacher of our particular lineage, who brought this um, style of teaching in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s to California from Japan. And he is, uh, he said one time to his students, you know, um, each of you is perfect just the way you are. You're perfect just the way you are. And you could use a little improvement. Um, I think that at a lot of the people that I know, um, that I talk with, uh, certainly myself included, we um, are pretty clear about the part about how we need improvement. Um, you know, if nothing else, there's that little voice inside our head that is always reminding us about the different ways that we could do a better job, that we could be a better person, that we could measure up better. Uh, sometimes we have people in our lives who uh, suggest that we could use some improvement. Uh, society is also always telling us that we need improvement. Um, ads, you know, we're too thin or we're too fat or we're too this or we're too that. And if we buy that, then we'll be better. I mean, self-improvement, there's a whole industry in self-improvement, which I participate in. Uh, there's nothing wrong with trying to improve ourselves. I'm a big believer in self-reflection, feedback, um, growth, learning. So I by no means want to uh, suggest that there's anything wrong with um, trying to improve ourselves. But as so often happens when we have these kinds of statements in Zen, uh, often we favor one aspect at the expense of the other. So I would ask you, do you think you're perfect just the way you are? You don't have to respond, but just take that in for a minute. You're perfect just the way you are. You don't have to improve anything right now. You're perfect. Now, a lot of us, when we hear that, we squirm. We, no, 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 not me. No, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be. I'm, I'm not perfect. But what about this? But what about that? So I would actually like to talk about that part of the formula here, because I think that might actually be the harder part. That even as we are striving to improve ourselves in the various ways that we do, and our practice itself is a kind of um, trying to improve, even, even though our, our teaching is that there's no self to improve, you know, that famous uh, poetry competition uh, where one of the uh, students, the, the student who almost won the prize said some version of, you know, the mind is a, is a mirror and it's constantly being covered with dust and we have to be keeping it clean. That would be the improvement side. And then of course, the, the other side of that, the, the sixth ancestor in the middle of the night wrote, on the, had his friend write on the wall, you know, there's no mirror, there's no dust. You know, what, are you, what are you trying to keep clean? So those are the two sides. That's the very same teaching as Suzuki Roshi saying, 
Each of you is perfect just the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. So I thought I would talk tonight about the side about uh, being perfect just the way you are, because I, I think that that uh, maybe doesn't get as much attention as the other side. So have you ever had the experience of being completely unconditionally accepted by another human being? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you have, you're very lucky. This is rare in our, in our world to just completely be accepted by another human being unconditionally. Um, how about by yourself? Could you perhaps try on that feeling of, you know, I'm making my best effort. I'm, I'm showing up as I best know how to show up. This is, I'm okay, I'm perfect. Just the way I am. There's a kind of a relaxation. There's a relief that floods through us, I think, when we are either by another or by our own um, kind, generous support, when we are just completely accepted, just as we are. And what a gift to give another human being when we have the opportunity to do that. I'm thinking too, you know, of some of the movies. I, I know Jean and I, sometimes we watch movies and there's a type of movie that always makes Jean cry. Not that it doesn't make me cry, but, you know, it always makes him cry, which is when the person in the movie is just accepted and allowed to be the one that they are. You know, when the person is just, you know, allowed to be themselves. That's guaranteed a way to have Gene cry. <laughs> Catherine wrote about this uh, generosity of um, accept being feeling accepted and feeling okay about how she was just as she are, she was, and she actually um, received that teaching from a tree. So it's not just a gift that we can give each other in the human realm, but it's also something that sometimes we might experience from the natural world. Um, there's, this story has been told in several places, but the first time that she told this story was actually a Sashin, a Patasahara that I happened to be at, it was, uh, uh, they invited a bunch of uh, senior teachers um, to Tassahara to lecture on Dogen's Bendo Wa, which is one of his great teachings, The Wholehearted Way. And they published this little tiny book called Sitting Under the Bodhi Tree. This was, she was in fine company, Blanche, Hartman, Shohaku, Okamura, Echo Little, Karen Suna, Tenke, Coppins, Genko, Akiba, and Catherine Thanis. So this is something that Catherine uh, said and is in, in about the middle of her lecture. She said, the other day, as I was feeling not good about myself while coming to the Zendo, I caught a glimpse of the tree outside the front door and I felt something from the tree. I looked away and then looked back. I felt so much love, so much compassion, so much understanding emanating 
from the life of this tree. I thought, what is going on? I think I felt the suffering of the tree. It was silent. It was upright. It stood regardless of rain, snow, heat of summer, the tremendous change of weather conditions here at Tassajara. The tree was uncomplaining. It was just there. It supported this zendo. It supported our life together and it supported me. I felt so much support and compassion from its willingness to endure, to be its life. Oh, I thought, it's okay to be me. It's okay to be all the seasons of my life. I think this is an absolutely beautiful expression of the each of you is perfect just the way you are. You know, here she is feeling bad about herself, not accepting herself. And she just stops and she pays attention to this ancestor, to this tree. And she taps into the patience and the uncomplaining nature of how a being can just be there supporting life and enduring and being its life. And that modeling by this other being allowed her heart to open and to realize, oh, you know, I'm no different from that tree. I am also willing to endure and to be my life. It's okay to be me. It's okay to be all the seasons of my life. You know, sometimes we're in the winter of our life. Things are dying. Maybe we're really quiet inside. Maybe we're mourning some losses. And then sometimes maybe we're in the spring of our life where we're feeling exuberant and things are growing. You know, all these different um, seasons of our life. And in all of them, it's we're, they're perfect. We are perfect. Because how could we not be? We can't be anything other than who and what we are. In fact, there's a there's a lovely poem. Uh, I think this one also makes Jean cry. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> this is uh, e uh, EQ, who was a, a, a wonderful uh, Zen teacher of centuries past and an exquisite poet. And... Um, he wrote, a, he wrote very short uh, haiku and very simple. And he has one that says, um, don't worry, please, please. How many times do I have to say it? There is no way not to be who you are and where. I'll say that again. Burn this into your soul. Don't worry. Please, please, how many times do I have to say it? There's no way not to be who you are and where. Another of his poems that speaks to this same teaching, he says, you can't be anyone but you. Therefore, you are that other one that you love. You can't be anyone but you. Therefore, you are that other one that you love. This is 
This is Dogen's Genjo Koan. When you find your place where you are, practice unfolds, actualizing the fundamental point. You know, after all of our striving, all of our self-improvement, after all of our resistance and all of our um, self-judgment, maybe there comes a time when we can receive the state of grace that could be called what I've recently been calling radical acceptance. And, and this is not the same, this is not a, a passive giving up kind of acceptance. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I might as well just be the one that I am. It's very, very dynamic, I, I think, this practice, because it includes all of our effort and our aspiration for growth and change. It Just like form and emptiness, they seem to be separate, but they're both aspects of the dynamic activity of life. So as we are growing and changing and improving, we're also practicing this deep generosity of complete radical acceptance. This is my life. There is no other life. You are perfect just the way you are. I've been saying this lately to people who are considering relationship issues. And I said, I find myself saying, you have to go into this relationship presuming they are never going to change. That's the standard you need to enter the relationship with. If you're going into this like, well, you know, she'll get more this way or he'll get more that way. It's like, give it up. Now, maybe they will change. Maybe you will change. Hopefully, yeah, we grow and change together. But the presumption that, nope, here we are. This is it. This is our life. So, you know, you, you stop being that future ideal person and you actually settle into and open into your actual life. Not the present, future life or the past life, the present life. I don't know if, it, if it's an age thing where maybe at some point, you know, enough of our sharp edges just start getting worn away by life and by traveling the road of life where we do kind of get a little bit more of this state of grace of, of acceptance. You know, it's a bit of a, a cliche, but it's a delightful one. You know, I remember there was a book that was popular a, a while back, When I Am an Old Woman, I Will Wear Purple. And I think that the idea here was, you know, you don't care anymore what people think. Yes, I'll wear purple. You know, you just, I mean, maybe in a way that's part of what this is about for me. You know, it's like I have hair, I'm letting it grow. I give up, you know, I give up trying to look a certain way. I give up trying to be this person that I thought I'm supposed to be I'm just going to be this one. And I'm just going to let it just grow. Here it is. I have it. I have hair, you know, and that's not to say it's not a beautiful practice to shave one's head. And, you know, it's a beautiful practice. You know, I may do it again. I don't know. I've done it many times. But the other side for me is also, you know, not, not shaving, not cutting, just this one. What you see is what you get. So um, 
I think another way that this um, radical acceptance comes through is um, those parts of ourselves that for so long we try to ignore and we try to um, avoid. Maybe no matter how hard we try, it keeps coming up. And one day, maybe we turn, instead of turning away, we turn towards it and we say, oh, maybe you are actually a deep part of my own wisdom of my life that just keeps knocking at my door. And maybe the reason why I can't, no matter how hard I try, I can't get you to go away. Maybe it's because it's time for me to settle down and listen to what you have to, what you have to say and what you have to teach me because you've been with me my whole life. I give up. Please come in, sit down, um, help me understand what it is that you've been trying to tell me. Hello, you familiar, irritating part of me, like a, like a family member, like that aunt or that uncle or that sibling that you're just like, oh God, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. Or maybe it's a, someone in your community or a neighbor. I don't know. That one. Please come in. Let me make you some tea. Let me, let me get to know you. Let me accept you just as you are with all your, the qualities in you that, that irritate me. What a teaching this is. And I know many of us have, have, have like, you know, when you tend to your aging parents, I think this often is something that we practice with. Not everybody does that and not everybody's aging parents are irritating, but um or children, probably on the other hand, I don't have children, but I would imagine sometimes there's this feeling of like, oh God, no, you know, I want you to improve. I want you to change. And what happens when we just surrender and we just accept, you know, I, I remember this with my own mother. I mean, I don't know why I tried to change her in her last years. I, I, you know, I, I took care of her. I was one of her caretakers and I just got so irritated with how she kept saying she was going to get better. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be, I'm going to get in my walker. I'm going to go, we're going to go shopping. We're going to buy all this stuff. And, you know, she had all this whole fantasy world about how we were going to go out in the world and do all these things. And she couldn't move. She was, she was bedridden. And I, there was some part of me, I'm not proud of it. It was almost kind of a mean part of me, but I just was like, no mom, you're not. You can't walk. You can't walk. I wanted her to see her delusion. I wanted her to improve for my comfort. I don't know why that would have made me comfortable, but that's what I did. And I remember just the, at some point, just the relief of when I realized, oh, I don't have to try to change her. She's just being my perfect, perfect mother. My absolutely infatigably optimistic mother. So who even as she's lying in her deathbed and she can't move, by God, she is going to get in that wheelchair. She's going to get in that walker and she's going to move because she was so positive, relentlessly positive. How beautiful a quality to have, really. I thank her for that. Thank you for that, Lorette. Thank you for, for modeling for me that kind of absolute optimism and can-do attitude. So, you know, when I could finally just accept that, that's what this teaching is about, is the liberation of that 
radical acceptance of what is. Um, another teaching, I, I started, uh, usually when I do a talk, I have some idea of what I want to talk about, but then I also consult with some of the ancestors. And so, um, of course, I, I consulted with Catherine, I consulted with EQ for this, and there's a couple of other uh, ancestors that I consulted with. And um, one of them is, I just, I don't know, sometimes I just go to my bookshelf and I just look at my bookshelf and I see what jumps out at me. And this one, which is just fabulous, um, Zen Master Hong Zhe, Cultivating the Empty Field, Tigan Dan Layton. Ah, Patrick is giving it a thumbs up. Jean is nodding. Okay, this is a, we're getting a good review here, Susan. Okay, yeah, this is, um, he, he was um, a teacher in the, um, in the 12th century. And he actually, he was very renowned and he, he had a very um, profound influence on Dogen. Um, his teaching is so clearly expressed. And so I would like to offer a few of his words because he really, really speaks, I think, very beautifully um, about this, um, well, what I'm calling radical acceptance is the complete acceptance of what is, which he has, he describes in several ways. Um, these are some of the quotes from uh, the, the poetic language of Hong Zhe. He talks about it as um, an original light blazing through your skull when the stain from old habits are exhausted. So the stain from old habits, my read on that is this trying to be someone other than who we are these old habits that keep us focusing on the past or that keep us focusing on the present. And he's saying when the stain from these old habits are exhausted, then there's this original light that blazes through your skull. He says it is vast and spacious like sky and water merging during autumn, like sun and moon having the same color, one entity without edge or seam a field of boundless emptiness. So I think sometimes when we hear language like that and the Zen ancestors do use language like this, one bright pearl, you know, this state of illumination, maybe sometimes we think, oh, that's so, that's so impossibly hard. I'm, I'm such a complex, imperfect being. How could I possibly have this experience of this field of boundless emptiness? And yet Hong Zhu is saying very, very specifically ways to have that experience of this complete present moment, radical acceptance of what is, of life as it is. And there's three kind of approaches that I found when I looked at his, at his book. One of them I would call the approach of um, grinding down or exhausting the old habits those of you who have sat extended periods of zazen or who've ever done anything that really demanded that you stay present through difficulty, um, 
you know, sometimes we just have this experience that the um, whatever the obstructive, obsessive thinking that we have, it just um, is, it, it becomes exhausted. And so he talks about dropping off deliberation and discussion, grinding down or brushing away the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. He says, forget accomplishments, abandon stratagems. So all of these are, that's not esoteric at all. That's very, very practical. Drop off deliberation and discussion. Drop off the self-improvement project. Drop off the conversation in the head about your mother is supposed to be different or your daughter is supposed to be different or you are supposed to be different. Drop off that deliberation and discussion. Abandon your stratagems. Very, very practical instructions. The second set of instructions he offers is what I would call the face everything and stay with it approach. And here he, he says, face everything, let go and attain stability. Stay with just, no, excuse me, stay with that as just that. Stay with this as just this. Here it is again. There's that teaching. Stay with that. Stay with that just as that. Nothing else. Stay with this just as this. So we've got two approaches so far. We've got the just let it, let that obsessive mind exhaust itself. <laughs> the second one is just stay with it. Just be with it. And the third one is a set that I call his uh, um, explore approach. Um, respond and explore mutual response. Turn around and enter the world. And one of my favorite lines, roam and play in samadhi. Roam and play in samadhi. This isn't a serious uh, endeavor, my friends. You can roam and you can play as the mind begins to relax, as we open ourselves to allow ourselves to accept our life just as, just as it is. The, the, the peace and ease of that state, we can roam and we can play in this samadhi. Many lifetimes of misunderstanding come only from distance, hindrance, and screens of confusion that we create in a scenario of isolation. I'm going to read that again, because again, this is a real cue for us. We create scenarios of isolation, he's saying, and screens of confusion. And that creates many lifetimes of misunderstanding. So um, those are some uh, offerings from Hongzhi. And what it sounds like in his language, I, I did some excerpting from, from how he writes, but um, 
why don't I just read you one of these? Um, this is the one called Face Everything, Let Go and Attain Stability. It's about two paragraphs long. And this is the typical style of, of his teaching. Vast and far reaching without boundary, secluded and pure, manifesting light, this spirit is without obstruction. Its brightness does not shine out, but can be called empty and inherently radiant. Its brightness, inherently purifying, transcends causal conditions beyond subject and object. Subtle, but preserved, illumined and vast. Also, it cannot be spoken of as being or non-being or discussed with images or calculations. Right here, the central pivot turns, the gateway opens. You accord and respond without laboring and accomplish without hindrance. Everywhere, turn around freely, not following conditions, not falling into classifications, facing everything, let go and attain stability. Stay with just, stay with that just as that, Stay with this just as this. That and this are mixed together with no discriminations as to their places. So it is said that the earth lifts up the mountain without knowing the mountain's stark steepness. A rock contains jade without knowing the jade's flawlessness. This is truly how to leave home, how home leaving must be enacted. So that's a little taste of the actual language that I pulled some of these uh, guiding phrases from. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, ways and places that we can look to practice this teaching of being perfect just the way that we are. I've described uh, some of the voices of the ancestors. I've talked about how we can just in our very own lives practice completely accepting what is and what is happening even as we're working to improve ourselves. Um, I wanted to just put in a little bit more before I uh, come to closure. I didn't realize it was already 7.07. Oh my goodness. You know, I just, I got back from one of my journeys and I always like to say a few words about um, these trips that I take out into the wilderness because that's a really major um, place where I practice Dharma is out in the um the natural world. And so this time I went to a place of Red Rock and um, a it was in um, Southern Utah. So it looked like this. Kind of see there. Yeah, that's a, yeah. And then uh, another picture. So there were a lot of conifers, a lot of red dust, beautiful rocks, a little beautiful little muddy river. Here was a another set of rocks. And there that was the place where I wrote in my journal. Um, this is my Zendo. This is my Buddha. The sounds of the world are my Han. Do you hear it, Raven? <laughs> You know, because I've done several of these where I go and 
participate in an extended multi-day fast out in nature. And people were asking me this time, you know, what are, why are you doing it? What are you going for? What are you fasting for? You know, what, for what purpose? And I really realized, and it's just what I've been talking about this half hour or so that I've been talking is it's not for me anymore about fasting or praying to gain anything or to learn anything or to discover anything. It's rather that the obstacles that keep me from accepting that which is that the obstacles fall away. As, as, as Hong Zhu said, you know, that the, um, you know, dropping off deliberation and discussion, grinding down or brushing away the tendencies that I have fabricated into apparent habits so that the field of boundless emptiness is able to be perceived and is able to be seen. And, um, that whatever is between me and the unfabricated moment grinds away like the red rock that grinds and flows in the river. So um, that's a little taste of what's been circulating in my Dharma consciousness over this last while. Um, I will come to closure now by chanting the refuges and maybe you can join me in your little Zoom rooms and then we'll have announcements. And if anybody wants to stick around and share any um, questions or comments, experiences you've had with practicing, um, you are perfect just the way you are and you could use a little improvement. Or if you want to ask anything else about my journey, um, I'd be happy to share. Thank you so much for your presence and your attention. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. <laughs>